In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. Humans could do nothing against the power of the evil mutant. The only hope is X-Men. Go and save the city! Welcome. You are listening to Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. I am Adam. I am Jeremy. Your host into the adventure that is the early, early edition of the X-Men comics. Yes, we're doing number eight this week. The uncanny threat of Anus, the un- I mean Eunice, the untouchable. <laughs> so what I was thinking initially was, I wonder how many issues of this were defaced for that very reason. <laughs> I mean, come on. Although it is something to say because... This is probably the third time I've actually read this particular issue, and I never actually made the anus connection until this time. So, yeah, know. you've grown, you've grown up. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's my more sophisticated, mature sense of humor that brought that one out. I couldn't come up with that when I was twelve. Thank you. Maybe this whole thing is like a, uh, it's like a, a health science lesson. <laughs> now, kids, they're the untouchable. Anus is untouchable. Stay away. <laughs> Evil thing comes out of there. So yes, uh, this is the November nineteen sixty four issue, mm-hmm. uh, produced by Marvel's Fantastic Foursome, Stanley writer, Jack Kirby artist, Chick Stone inker, and Sam Rosen is back as the letterer. Ooh, dun, dun, dun. Hey, something that we need to put on our little to do list. Okay. Um, I don't know how we'll remember this. Maybe we'll have to come back and revisit this podcast and, and revisit. This is a question. Pretend I'm a listener. Dear guys, I have noticed that in some of the uh, later X-Men and X-Factor comic books around issues 240 to 250, there's also another person with the last name of Rosen who is the letterer. Is that a fact? It is. I, I'm. I'm. Uh, yes. Wow. <laughs> I've been reading. Do you think they're related? I, well, they're either related or are they the same person? So that's that's what our, that's, that's possible too. That's a check on our to do list. Um, can you imagine? Because like the issues that I'm kind of I'm going through the Inferno storyline right now, just just for the heck of it, because I never read it straight through when I was younger, just bits and pieces of it. And uh, I, I was noticing that one of the letterers in either X Factor or X Men was was Rosen. I can't remember if it's S Rosen or Sam Rosen or what the person's first name was, but definitely Rosen stuck out in there. Hmm. Uh, and so that those comics came out. I, I want to say like eighty eight, eighty nine, maybe. And this is sixty four. Yeah. I guess it's possible twenty five years later to still be working in the industry, lettering all the comic books. Sure. For all we know, Sam Rosen is a teenager. Yeah, he could be like twenty here, so he's only forty-five in that in that time period. Yeah. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna validate that fact later on, maybe. But anyways, this one's uh uh the uncanny threat of Eunice, the untouchable. So we open with a danger room splash panel, full page panel of everybody working out except for Cyclops, who is now. Uh, he's got the Professor X suit on. He's invaded Professor X's closet mm-hmm. to pull out one of his nifty suits. Mm-hmm. Spiffy. Snazzy. No longer does he have to work out. He is the team leader. As team leader, it's his job to only exercise his brain. <laughs> uh, yep, so we got Beast here riding his makeshift unicycle. Uh, Jean Grey is sewing. 
<laughs> the angel's flying upside down, and Iceman is apparently about to pole vault. Not much of a practice session, if you ask me. I think the professor put them through uh, much better paces. But then uh, Cyclops turns around and turns, reveals how dastardly he is by just like throwing a net around Angel. Oh, and he also turns around to reveal a gigantic computer system that we were originally unaware of existing in this room. Well, you know, at least it's in the, the danger room. It's true. Computers just kind of magically appear out of nowhere. I like the shot of uh, Angel laughing at, or uh, Ice Iceman la- laughing at Angel. In the third panel there? Yeah, he's... Uh, he's very happy. Yeah, it's like a very uh, ha, ha, ha sort of laughter. I don't know. It's a very... Th- yeah, no, it's a very throaty laugh. I mean, his mouth is wide open, and he's clearly projecting from his... What, are the, what do you do when you sing in a play, like from, from your belly? He, that's a belly laugh. He's doing a belly laugh right there. <laughs> so while he laughs, Cyclops blasts him with his power blast, destroying his pole vault. Mm-hmm. I, I would make the comment, but it's been made too many times about his powerful beams that he can't keep under control, that he <laughs> seems to have meticulous control over here, but whatever. And here uh, Iceman practices his new technique of increasing the degree of cold, thereby appearing... Less like a snowman and more like an actual Iceman. Yep, so this is the first appearance of what we are now used to as being Iceman. The crystalline and not snowy Iceman. Which is actually more more fitting. I mean, when, when Stanley named him Iceman and made him a snowman, it didn't really make sense. But then he was probably thinking, well, snowman's kind of a dumb <laughs> superhero name. Do you think there's a drawing reason behind this? Like Jack Kirby was like, oh, I'm tired of drawing snowmen. I want to draw an ice man. Maybe, because, I mean, there are all sorts of little lines and dots and, and squigglies here to indicate that he's a snowman. And uh, as the ice man, he, there's a lot. There's, it seems to be there's fewer lines, and the lines that are there are more geometric. Maybe he got lazy. He's like, Stan, you got to do something. You're killing me over here. Can we make one of these guys invisible? <laughs> well, make them close. <laughs> Maybe that's why he drew this uh, panel of the belly laugh, is because it was his last chance to throw out a snowman version of Iceman. Uh, and I think this is a change for the better. I, I was not actually particularly a fan of Snowman, Iceman. Yeah, it's 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 sillier, and this is mm-hmm. well less silly. Of course, I'm not much of a fan of Iceman to begin with, anyways, because his powers seem to be. Even in the future, even in future issues, throwing ice fists and encasing people in blocks of ice, which they everybody always seems to easily be able to smash their way out of. But can you blame him for that? I mean, that's the power he was given. Give him a break. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. This is this is the way he was. God, he can't help how God created him. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So a little critique on uh, Marvel Girl's stitching lessons. She, she, her stitch is flawless except for one stitch, which she dropped. Mm-hmm. And then Cyclops has a, uh, a private uh, interior monologue. Mm-hmm. If only I could tell her the words I really want to say. Mm, and uh, gorgeous. Yeah, he's got some romantic are. feelings for her. Clearly. Um, and uh, he continues for two panels to talk about how much he loves her. But how he must right, not. He's the leader. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What is it with that sense of, I don't even know, is that, is that some sort of ethics there? I guess. I mean, Reed Richards clearly doesn't have that sort of ethic. Or uh, Hank Pym and the Wasp of the Avengers. I mean, there's there's couples all over that are leaders. Well, and sub- Cyclops is kind of stodgy. I think he's worried that if he gets involved in a relationship that he won't be able to concentrate on his role as leader. He, he's the kind of guy who can't work and love. Mm. Okay. <laughs> he throws a ball at Hank, knocking him off his little unicycle wheel. 
clearly, he couldn't do that if he was focusing. Well, I suppose maybe if he was focusing on his love for Gene, <laughs> this training would be all for naught. Beast uh, calls Cyclops on it. I can't believe you did that, you jerk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Becoming drunk with power. Yeah, but Cyclops, he is taking this role pretty seriously. Talking about how the training can never be ended. You never know when your enemies are going to be about. And I mean, the X-Men really shouldn't be too surprised by this because this is what Professor Xavier's been drilling into them ever since the first issue. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's kind of like, you know, if you have a group of people, uh, like if you have a bunch of coworkers at your job and then all of a sudden one of them gets promoted to like leader or the boss or manager or whatever and starts bossing you around, maybe there might be a little animosity or angst where it's like, dude, you used to be so cool and now all you do is nit, 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 nit. Maybe that's what the X Men are feeling about Cyclops right now. Except for Jean, who has a uh, who has feelings. She reveals her. Well, she she has an, her own interior uh, little. Oh yeah, yeah. Bubble there, mm-hmm. revealing her feelings. She has the same feelings as Scott does, but but she doesn't realize he does. It's it's so sad. Why does this always seem to happen in comic books and situational comedies? <laughs> I think that um, this, this this is like, I think that this is the sign of. Professor X is ruining Scott's life. Just, you know, turning him into this, like, worrywart guy. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Oh, it's Struggling so with his own decisions and his every thoughts. Sure. Yeah. And as you'll read, I mean, if you keep going with this whole whole series, uh, I mean, there's long-lasting repercussions that uh, Professor Xavier has foisted upon not just all the X-Men, but particularly Cyclops. It all begins here. Yep, you're witnessing the beginning of a of a broken man. Of the uptight Scott Summers. Uh, oh, yeah, Cyclops gives him the afternoon off, and he won't join the rest of the group because he's got too many responsibilities. So they go off for a little free time period. Uh, Beast and Iceman walking down the street, and they stop where there's a crowd, and they see a little boy mm-hmm. up on top of a building. Looks like a water well. Yeah, it's very strange. It's kind of like a silo top on top of another building in the middle of Manhattan. I don't know what it is. I don't know. And then there's there's a red sky behind it, so you know they're in hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. No, they're not. Uh, so, of course, the X-Men can never go out in public without something crazy happening. So Beast takes off his shoes and and sinks his toes into the little uh, recesses of the brick wall and climbs up the wall. Which gives away his secret identity, sort of. It, it oh. reveals to him that he's a, like to the crowd that he is a mutant, and they start freaking out. Yeah, and then then one one person in the crowd uh, makes the connection and says, "Of course, it must be the Beast." Yeah, he's the one who's always Spider Man climbing buildings. Spider Man's gained some weight. <laughs> um, I I don't know this whole secret identity. I mean, I know that it's it's a it's a it's a plot device that's used all too frequently in comic books. But to me, it just doesn't feel like it's really been that well. The need for secret identities hasn't been established in the X-Men universe yet. Yeah, I think they're slowly moving away from that. I think they were kind of latched onto the idea of secret identities, and they're kind of moving away to, well, no, it's not, it's not the fact that they have a secret identity that they need to worry about. Just the fact that they are a mutant, they're right. different, people are frightened from them. It seems like they're finally getting towards that sure and so the first statement here on panel six like oh it's a mutant that that kind of makes sense because maybe that's gaining some traction in the news uh but the with the third guy there who says oh it must be the beast based on the issues that we've read so far i don't feel that there's been enough possible media coverage 
for people to actually even realize who these folks are other than, oh, maybe maybe like a fringe uh, group knows about some people that dress in yellow and black and run around. But I think I, I would disagree with you there. Think so? um, I think I think uh, you have to take it for granted that the X-Men are extremely exposed to the world at this point. And like as of issue two, people were recognizing Angel in the public. He had the fan club. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So right, it's right. it's like you know the newspapers are taking off with this. There's it was it's a several slow news days every time the X Men come out. Okay, okay, I got gotcha. you. I'm with you. All right, so the Beast reaches the top and uh, rescues the boy. Basically. And then Beast and Iceman take off running because the crowd turns on them. Yeah, very quickly. I think this is the first time because in earlier issues uh they'd pretty much been celebrated whenever they were seen out in public, but this is one of the first instances of uh, mutant hysteria. I guess yeah, the, the I, I toad think, was uh, the toad was subject to it, I think. Yeah, a little bit to a lesser degree. But uh, yeah, this this seems like Stanley's finally getting it together and being like, "Hmm, let's create a some world that Knows them and hates them, but didn't make them or mm. made them. Or I don't know what the classic saying. Is. Or it could just be a, an analogy for bigotry, racism, <laughs> that sort of thing. I mean, it, if you think, oh of, yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. yeah, okay. Because the comics written in the sixties, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of crazy crap going on in the sixties, and this is just probably reflecting uh, the times. Maybe I don't know. Well, I imagine Stanley, you know, and Jack Kirby, and uh, you know, all the the whole team over at Marvel are sitting down thinking about their characters all the time. Mm-hmm. And Stanley's probably got like a million other characters he's bouncing off ideas, or mm-hmm. you know, he's just trying to think. Oh well, what can I do that relates to what's going on now? And mm-hmm. you know, it's it's really it's really quite uh, an interesting process that that I'm imagining. Maybe it's much more simpler than that, but I have to imagine that they were all pretty hep cats you know yeah yeah probably not making a whole lot of money but they're doing something that they like and they're living in the middle of it right 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 in their offices or somewhere in manhattan i think so they're they're living it and they're seeing it and i think yeah maybe they're and they had no idea that the comic books were going to take off like this they were just having a good time and Mm -hmm. and trying to make something that they really felt would would uh mean something to them to at least to themselves if not to a whole you know group of people and I think that's why the X-Men always – I always liked the X-Men as a superhero group because of all of the superhero groups out there, your Avengers, your Fantastic Four, Superman, everybody loves them. You know, They're celebrated and given parades and nobody, mm-hmm. nobody hates Superman except for Superman's villains, whereas nobody likes the X-Men because they're afraid of them even though all the X-Men are trying to do is save the world over and over and over again. Right. Yeah. Anyways, all right. So – Back to the panel. So, yeah, the X-Men, uh, Bobby and Hank, are torn. Their clothes are torn from treads as they try to escape the crowd. They return to the office, and Beast decides that he is going to quit. He can't take it anymore. For He's th- tired of risking his life for humans. For the very reasons that you just mentioned. They're fighting for a world that didn't make them and is resenting them. And how can they just do it? I find this odd, though, because Beast is supposed to be the... Um, the smart one. Isn't this like the first time the beast resigns from the X-Men? Won't he resign from the X-Men time and time again? <laughs> um, at least one or two more times. Yes, he will. I know uh, he's been an Avenger. He's been uh-huh. an X-Factor. He's no longer with the X-Men in the current continuity. Hmm. Um, I'm not sure, uh, but I would put 
the X-Men that would get fed up with it and want to uh, not and would want to say that it's not worth it would probably be maybe Iceman because he's younger and would maybe have a shorter fuse. Because Beast is supposed to be the smarter, calmer, collected, like, oh, I understand what's going on here. We're different from them. And because of that, there's some animosity and blah, blah, blah. He, he seems to me like he would have some psych- psychiatric uh, uh, degrees, not degrees, but studies under his belt. Perhaps. But this <laughs> is the first time it happened. So maybe he's just overreacting. All right, fine. He's a little <laughs> steamed. So he takes off. That's it. He's done. He's out of here. And Iceman is worried that he's going to go join the evil mutants. And Beast says, no, I'm not going to do that. He says, I'm not going to join anybody. Cyclops is pretty upset about this. He can't persuade him to stay. So he contacts the professor who Mm. is traveling in some like wheelchair that has tread wheels on the bottom of it. This is like underground descending into a bottomless cave. This is like the coolest wheelchair you've ever seen. (laughs) <laughs> I'm actually surprised that at the top of it it doesn't have like a helicopter rotor cuz it looks like there's a spot for one. Maybe yeah. that's the maybe the helicopter rotor is like shrunken in there cuz it looks oh. like what a, what would be the purpose of that top mechanism? I don't know. Um <laughs> it's the craziest uh wheelchair you it's basically a, a little tank for the professor to ride around in. But he's floating on top of a river of fire. Yeah. Uh yes. And then serious uh, business. The professor he says he, he's mm-hmm. he's on a mission to uh, he's on the trail of Lucifer, mm-hmm. whoever that is. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we'll ever find out. I wonder. He tells Cyclops not to worry. What what I'm thinking here, what I'm wondering here is, has Lucifer been introduced as a character in any of the other comic books? Mm, good question. I don't know because he basically, I mean, he kind of just says like, "I'm on the trail of Lucifer," as if we should all really know who Lucifer is. Well, you know, the devil. Yeah, of course. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess one could infer that. The professor's going after the devil. So the beast uh, decide, The beast finally leaves and, um, again, is questioned by Jean Grey about going to join Magneto. You're not going to join Magneto, are you? <laughs> they just don't trust him. They think that anybody who leaves... Well, I guess the one time that Angel left, he boasted that he was going to go join the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. That oh. happened in a... That Iron Man issue or whatever that was. Right. So maybe they're just paranoid from that. It's happened once before. It could happen again. But they fought Angel, and this is different. Beast is kind of going on his own accord. Well, and and Beast is, he's being kind of a jerk. He's angry. It's a good thing the professor didn't put him in charge of the (laughs) X-Men. Yeah, he wouldn't have lasted a day. (laughs) That's it, you guys. I can't be the leader anymore. What does a uh, former... A uh, superhero mutant whose ability is to be strong and have acrobatic prowess. What is he to do only a week or so after leaving said super team? All right, this is a question that I have. Okay. Uh, didn't Spider-Man also <laughs> become a top draw wrestling guy? <laughs> I don't know if he was a top draw, but he certainly entered the circuit. Is this the sign that Stan is really into wrestling, or is wrestling just really huge in the 60s? I think Stanley just likes uh, imagining young men wrestling. <laughs> the only <laughs> thing I can figure out. Hey, man, it's the 60s, and I'm young, and I'm experimenting with stuff. Don't judge me. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, so maybe. He's not just a wrestler, though. He he's, he's the bad guy. He's playing the role of, I'm the bad wrestler. Dun, dun, dun. So clearly wrestling in the 60s had some of the flair that oh, it sure. currently has. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
So he's playing. I thought the Spider-Man thing was just a fluke, but I guess not. No, no, it's a it's a common plot device that uh, Stanley goes back to. <laughs> I don't know. So he jumps out of his cage, and and uh, I don't know. He's really uh, he must really be upset because he's just playing the part of the beast. He's not being smart. He's hunched over. He's acting like an, a gorilla, basically. You'd think he would go on to like try to fit in with society and become a scientist or something, but you no, would... no, he becomes a wrestler. Well, yeah. Well, he says he'll be a millionaire in a year, but whatever. So he gets in the ring, and the announcer introduces us to Eunice. The current champion, yeah, he's a very good-looking guy. Very good-looking man. That nice black hair, rippling body. <laughs> he's kind of like a Superman. He kind of is, yeah, absolutely. And so the Beast looks at this guy who's, albeit nice-looking, but rather thin, in, in, uh, uh, according to you know Beast's stature. And thinks that he can just take him down without any sort of, uh, without anything. The the MC of the wrestling ring uh, announced him as the untouchable champion. And there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Beast immediately hurls himself at him and without even touching him, bounces off of him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This continues for a while with a little bit of wrestling moves. The Beast is jumping around, keeps trying to hit him, is unable to hit him at all does like a maximum springing move where he, he jumps on the ropes a few times and dives down at him and just bounces off again. I got to say that uh, whatever he's doing on the sixth panel on page eight is pretty amazing. That's the one where he's... Uh, Hurling himself where he downward. <laughs> well, he jumped really high, apparently. He's very high, yeah. Maybe he grabbed the rafters and... <laughs> <laughs> Did a little loop-de-loop and then came flying down. This is high prime wrestling action here. I mean, this is like a comic and a half. Mm-hmm. You get superheroes and wrestling. Uh, but basically, the Beast, Kiefer, for all of his trying, cannot touch Eunice, as his name is, the Untouchable. And he he's, bounces off of Eunice into the crowd. Everybody's shocked. Well, nobody's as shocked as Beast is, though. He starts to suspect that maybe, well, he sees Mastermind in the audience, and he mm-hmm. starts to wonder... Oh, maybe Eunice is a mutant. Not that you, that mastermind is just a fan of wrestling. Yeah, no, I don't know, but no, <laughs> yes, they're, they're, that would be great if that's what it actually it was. <laughs> what do you mean he's a, he's a mutant? I got to do a Magneto. I just like wrestling. <laughs> Beast immediately assumes that Eunice wants to join Magneto, and as it turns out, he's correct. Uh, mastermind hmm. goes backstage to meet up with him and um, tells him that you know. Magneto's not really ready for you to to join us. Uh, we had a problem with the blob, and he has to make sure that he trusts you. And uh, Oops. Eunice I, says, what can I do? I'm glad that Magneto's finally exercising a little bit of uh, restraint here and not just trying to recruit every mutant that he finds. I'm having a feeling that because Magneto's not actually in this issue, he's not. This is mastermind doing his own version of restraint. Oh. Like, you know, probably, if he bumped into Eunice, he would be like, hey, join us. Oh, I see. <laughs> I could use anybody on my team. <laughs> Any? Have you seen who I've been working with? It, clearly, it's not working <laughs> out. Uh, so, for some reason, yeah, y- uh, Eunice is hot to join Magneto's troop, but uh, uh, Mastermind would like him to go and prove himself. By capturing one of the X-Men or beating one of them Mm -hmm. or just finding them. Any of those will do. Yep. And Eunice is pretty bold about it. Yeah, he could totally do that. And uh, 
Wax goes walking down the street, thinking his thoughts, and bumps into a robbery, a bank robbery involving one, two, three, four, five, six, five gunmen and one guy with the loot running away from the bank. <laughs> and you know it's a robbery because the sack has a money sign on it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is these these guys are not fooling around. They have automatic rifles and everything. Yeah, fancy suits. Because you have to have a fancy suit to be a gangster. Mm-hmm. So Eunice uh, just walks up to one of the guys and takes that money sack away from him. They all start shooting at him, but they can't hit him because it's uh, he's a Eunice the Untouchable. And they actually recognize him. So, yeah, wrestling is huge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think what we've determined here is that Eunice has some level of control over his power because in the first frame he was able to turn his force field off to grab the money sack. And in the second panel, he's able to turn his force field on in order to avoid being shot with bullets. And so the bullets come whizzing around every which way, and they're curving for some reason, as you see in panel three. Uh, the X-Men have uh, apparently a new helicopter. It seems like Jack Kirby can't keep his helicopter straight uh, because every flying device the X-Men have ever had seems to be different each time. Cyclops got a, a, detect- a detection from Cerebro telling mm-hmm. him that there was a mutant presence in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So and, they, um, they were rapidly dispatched in their helicopter. And then they see that the bank is being robbed. Angel takes a, a dive down to see what's going on. Immediately goes after Eunice, who is stripping down from his uh, suit and tie. And uh, he sees he sees the he sees the angel and decides that he's about to take him on. He's gonna mm-hmm. he will he will use this opportunity to become one of Magneto's allies. It's it's interesting how how lucky this guy is. Why just this morning he was talking to Mastermind about how he could join <laughs> the evil mutants, and this is the one way that he could do it by capturing or defeating one or all of the X Men. And here they are. It's amazing. Yeah. So it's uh, uncanny. It is very uncanny. Um, the angel bounces off. Cyclops shoots him a few times. All of the uh, power blasts repel off of him. Yep, and he's worried. Uh, he, he can't use his. He decides he can't use his blasts anymore because they are ricocheting around. So he he's dodging his punches. He's worried about not being able to dodge his punches for much longer. So then uh, he, he dis- tries to punch him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fails at that. Mm-hmm. Eunice picks him up and tosses him. Yeah, and he says right here. But unfortunately for you, I am able to touch whomever I choose. Yes, so that is his mutant power. He is able to be untouchable, but to touch uh, when he needs to, I suppose. Yep. So he's got control over his force field. So that's that's a good thing for him. That's a nice power. So Cyclops, uh, being tossed through the air, shouts to Marvel Girl, "Plan G five quickly." Oh, uh, you know this is one thing that's bugged me ever since the start of the X Men. And I don't know if it continues to this day, but certainly continues on through the 80s where they keep saying, quickly, plan six, quickly, execute, plan E3. And it's like, what? Come on. What is plan E3? There are at least 35 plans if this is plan G5. Oh, you figured that out, eh? Yep. Nice. I just did that in my head just now. <laughs> well, that's a lot to memorize. I would rather have them come up with creative things like fastball specials. I mean, at least that you can kind of like put a picture to, but plan G5. 
I don't know. It just bugs me. It seems like lazy what writing. Is, what is Plan G5? Plan you caught, caught me because I was being tossed away with a telekinetic catch. <laughs> Plan G5 is if Cyclops is ever hurled through the air and upside down, Jean Grey is supposed to catch him and gently lay, uh, land him with her telekinetic powers. That's Plan G. That's why there's 35 of them, because G4 is for catching Iceman. G3 is for catching Beast. <laughs> so the G series is for tele- telekinetically catching everybody. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I looked that up on the Marvel Encyclopedia. I think that's what it said. Uh, okay, so Cyclops is safe, and Iceman decides that he's going to... Oh, he's going to execute maneuver F12. Quick freeze intensity! <laughs> I believe the F series is the freezing uh, series. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> sure, I don't know. It's actually a pretty good idea that Iceman has. Um, to, you know, I can't touch you, but I can surround you with ice. Mm-hmm. So he makes a little igloo so. around Eunice. Unfortunately, ice in the Marvel Universe is very easy to shatter. As Not I said... is Eunice uh, untouchable. He's very strong. He's a pretty strong dude. This maybe would... he's using his ricochet power to help him explode <laughs> the ice or something. I think this would have been more um, interestingly written if if they would have explained it as uh, Eunice expanding his force field rather than punching through it, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. Bottom line, he punches through the uh, the the Iceman's igloo. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out there and say that it's a combination. Okay. Well, sure. I mean, he wouldn't hurt his fist because he would be using his force fields to as as well, like a battering ram of of sorts. I have a question, though. When Iceman does all this, when he creates his slides and his ice blocks and his... I mean, where does all this... Where does, A, where does all this water come from? And B, where does it all go? Well, that's... I think you, you kind of started touching on this last issue, but... <laughs> and I'm thinking that, you know, you're just going to have to um, accept that it's a mutant power and, and that there's no scientific explanation for it. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> See, now, I think... Maybe that's why where I don't... Do, where do Cyclops' eye beams come from? Well, see, but what they do with Iceman... Or not Iceman, but Cyclops is... Uh, so that's like a plasma energy or something that's come... Not plasma, that's Havoc, that's plasma. Uh, Cyclops is just an energy beam that uh, comes from his eyes, but they always talk about that power becoming depleted or him passing out after he uses it too much. Iceman seems to be able to generate and generate and generate and generate. Um so I think like a more plausible thing and what would have made Iceman more interesting would have been to say that I pull the moisture out of the air and then from there I am able to freeze it and then I'm able to manipulate that frozen ice. To me, that makes sense because at some point you're going to run out of moisture or if, he, or if he's ever having a fight in like Arizona, his power would essentially be worthless. Hmm. That's just me speaking. Scientifically. Scientifically. <laughs> However, that's not the case here. So let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) Eunice goes after Iceman, who's on the ground now for some reason. Mm. Maybe his power had depleted him a little bit. Let's Mm. go there. Okay, Um, Angel tries to punch him. Mm -hmm. uh, Can't land a blow. Mm -hmm. But uh, Eunice wraps his arms around Angel's head, and Angel takes off Mm -hmm. into the air. And he has found a weakness of sorts of Eunice's. And um, as he states, you can't hang on forever. You'll see how much good your power does when you fall. Uh, unfortunately, Eunice calls the bluff. He knows that the X-Men are not murderers. Mm-hmm. So uh, Angel drops him off uh, at the top of a building, which is actually a really good tactic, I think. Yeah. Angel comes in for the landing, and the X-Men go off to regroup. Mm-hmm. Presumably, Eunice climbs down. 
So, yep, they head back to the mansion uh, to basically regroup and maybe make a new plan. No, think things out. Uh, but when they get back to the mansion, they realize that there's somebody in the lab. <laughs> and it's the beast. Everybody yeah. wonders if he's back. And he says he says he's a glutton for punishment, uh, which would say, oh, I give up. I'm coming back to the X-Men. And he's building a weapon of of sorts to counter Eunice's power, right? Mm-hmm. But then he goes on to say that this weapon will increase Eunice's power. And the X-Men completely flip out. Like, you no trust in their former member. <laughs> completely irrationally flip out and say, you've gone mad, you're going to let him join the evil mutants. But see, now to the X-Men's credit, the Beast never actually clarifies what he's actually going to do. He just says that I'm going to make a weapon that's going to make him even more powerful. Yeah, he. this is just a big mess of miscommunication. Uh, and short fuses and not enough yep. information. So, I mean, it's in so short, in fact, that Cyclops decides to try to shoot uh, Beast with his eye beams. Yeah, which is just... I don't know. Maybe the X-Men are just feeling like they just got their asses handed to them. Uh, they're feeling pretty lousy. They're they're short they're short they're short tempered and a little uh they're a little on edge that, you know, uh oh, maybe Beast is leaving us, then we'll really not be able to handle Eunice. Mm-hmm. So yeah, nobody gives anybody the chance to talk and Beast jumps out the window. Mm-hmm. The X-Men go after him. Mm-hmm. And minutes later how is this minutes later? But whatever. <laughs> <laughs> minutes later, uh, the beast is lurking behind a door inside Eunice's changing room. Yeah, which which uh, this can't be more than an hour after Beast or I mean Eunice was hanging off the top of that antenna on the building. But which later I, I'll jump ahead. Uh, later is revealed that this is inside a gym. Oh, okay. Eunice's office is a gym, which is revealed two pages from now. But okay. It's an important detail. Sure. So the beast fires upon him. And I... Eunice realizes that this this didn't hurt him. He doesn't understand why he would shoot him with a weapon that doesn't do anything. Until he realizes that he's even stronger than he was before. Yep. And uh, Beast puts it to the test by throwing his device at him. It ricochets off. Beast catches it with his feet. And the X-Men show up. Oh no, how could he... Just in time for it to look like a horrible, horrible mistake. The X-Men gather behind Beast. Beast is trying to tell them, yeah. go go have fun with your power, Eunice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll handle the X-Men. So Beast is kind of playing a double agent here, uh, in a way. Yeah, he just won't let the X-Men in on what's going on. But he's also working, the, he's working that angle to Eunice to say, hey, man, I'm with you. Look, I just powered you up. Now, why don't you yeah, go cause yeah. some destruction? But even as Eunice leaves, Beast still doesn't tell the X-Men, not that the X-Men would give him a chance to explain what's going yeah, on. Yeah, he just kind of says, I did it for your own sake, you'll see. He's just trying to say, trust me, guys, come on. I've been on your team for seven issues. Just trust me. And the X-Men are like, no, we don't no. trust you. Even though you're the smartest one, the most logical one, <laughs> no, I don't trust you. You've joined the We have absolutely mutants. no reason not to trust you. Yeah. But we won't but we because won't. we're paranoid. This issue is brought to you by the word paranoia. <laughs> I agree. I think if the professor were in town, none of this would have happened. I don't know. Things would get worse inevitably. Mind wipe. 
So on the next page, the Eunice is feeling pretty good about himself. He's moving chairs around. He's flexing his power muscle. Then he goes for a cigarette, which, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's pretty trendy in the in the Marvel universe. This is the first appearance of an early 60s cigarette that I'm, I've ever seen. Certainly the first cigarette in a uh, X-Men comic book. So he tries to grab the pack of cigarettes, but he just can't get it. And if you've ever been a smoker, you know what, what a pain that could be. That would ruin your day. He folds himself over the table to reach for them as they bounce to the ground, and he misses it again. And then, which I think is pretty cool, the table bounces out from underneath him. Mm-hmm. Definitely a little bit of forethought here on uh, Stan and Jack's part. Yep. Giving him the full treatment of everything's bouncing off and sliding around him. He can't control his power. He's upset. He goes out onto the street. People are bouncing off of him. There's a bricklayer putting up a wall, but the bricks are flying everywhere. Mm -hmm. He goes into a restaurant to get a steak because he's freaking hungry. (laughs) I think this is one of the first times in the X-Men where a character has has indicated how hungry they are. Yeah. Uh, But he can't get that steak. Um, Meanwhile, back at the X-Men, they're talking to Cyclops and telling him he better talk to Professor X because he'll know what to do with the Beast as if the Beast needs to be punished. But but the Beast is like, come on, guys, just give it a second. <laughs> well, Cyclops has an, another plan that he wants to use before oh. he, he's willing to contact Professor X or believe in Beast. Mm-hmm. And um, it's to drop a plastic bubble mm-hmm. over, uh, Eunice. over Eunice. Which I'm not really sure, sh- it will be a form of a portable prison. His idea is much like, um, he won't be able to smash it like Iceman's, uh, like it'll move with him. I suppose, I it, suppose. It doesn't make that much sense. It doesn't really. make all that much sense because Eunice has, even though we know that Eunice can now no longer touch anything, Cyclops still thinks that Eunice can turn that power off, and so he right. could probably just take that plastic and rip this it. This is... Then, all right, right, right. Or lift the plastic above his head. An act of desperation. And where did this plastic come from? Oh, so Angel just drops it on... As a demonstration, Angel drops it on top of Beast, Cyclops, and Marvel Girl. Yep. <laughs> uh, and so they get out from underneath it, just as I anticipate Eunice would. And then the phone rings. Uh, mm-hmm. Gene answers it with telekinesis. Wait, so are they back at the mansion? I think they're still at the gym. Um, but I maybe hope, they're at the mansion. I don't. Somebody's. No, it's Bobby calling this telephone. So unless they got the phone number for the gym and gave it to Bobby and sent Bobby ahead, they must be back at the. I don't get it. Doesn't matter. Oh, okay, okay. They did leave the gym. They must have gone back to the. However, exactly ten seconds later, they're up in the air, flying through the city. Man. You're quick. It takes me much longer than 10 seconds to go to work. I know. Let alone get on a helicopter and fly through the middle of town. It takes me 15 minutes to get dressed, get ready, get <laughs> out the door, teeth, start my car. Uh, so meanwhile, uh, Eunice is in a restaurant in a comical display. Of <laughs> Things are flying around. We've got Bowls plates. and pies and ladles and <laughs> it's a sandwich. Cups. Oh, my gosh. Everything's flying around. And all Eunice wants is just a bite to eat. He's so hungry. <laughs> it's been a long day for him. Uh, and uh, he begs Beast. The only Oh, no. He basically is on his knees begging the Beast to reduce his power. And the, the the X-Men are finally starting to get it, and mm-hmm. Beast is like, this is exactly what I had planned. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I don't know, somebody still says, Cyclops, he's using that blamed ray again, because somebody still doesn't trust it. But <laughs> finally, finally, Cyclops gets it. <laughs> um, he's like, no, 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 let him do it. 
I get it. Yeah, yeah. So he does it. Uh, and he gets his pie or whatever that is. He shoves that in his face because, remember, <laughs> he is really, really hungry. He is, he's been just like pumping iron and and now he's he's it's been come on up it has a been massive... a long day first he had to wrestle the beast then he had to go prove himself to mastermind then he had to rob a bank i mean this guy has been busy I'd and then be he couldn't get a cigarette which yeah. right there that's oh. like instant hunger sure um and so uh beast threatens him and says if you act up again i will shoot you and so Eunice, the untouchable heads back to wrestling Yep, where he he admits he belongs. I'm I'm not gonna be a I'm not gonna be a bad guy anymore because mm-hmm. you uh, you guys have the power over me. And, uh, mm-hmm. and we get our final panel there with now Iceman dressed in the suit. Oh yeah, For, oh I think the X Men have one suit. <laughs> well, they sent Iceman. Pass it around. <laughs> yeah, it's the same green suit. Why is Iceman not dressed up? Did they ever? He was doing reconnaissance. Oh, okay, he couldn't do it as Iceman. Iceman, sure. Um. Yeah, so, and then finally, the astounding X-Men are together again, little dreaming that their next battle will not be against a mutant menace. Ooh, I can't Deep wait down, I never really lost faith in you, Hank, says Cyclops. Oh, yeah, yes, he did. Right. He, he shot at him. <laughs> and Jean admits that's that what makes you the by leader. saying, that's what makes you the leader you are, because clearly I didn't believe in Beast. Yeah, well, she didn't really do much of anything in this issue. Yeah. If you go she, through the entire thing, all she did was execute Plan G5. She answered the phone telekinetically. Oh, well, of course. I mean, what? That's what women and do. And she saved. She yeah. She yeah. Like you said, G five. G five. And she answered the phone. <laughs> so, um, this may be spoilers, and it may not be. Uh, I've read a lot of X Men comics, um, especially with the Essential, and I don't recall Eunice coming back. Maybe he does come back, uh, but I don't believe this is a spoiler for that. But. When I was uh, a lot younger, I used to play Marvel Superheroes, the the role-playing game, and uh, you could buy these big character sheets or big books of character sheets, and they were like 200 pages of just like every character ever in the Marvel Universe up to this time. There's four versions of that. So there must have been like 800 characters that they had bioed. And one of them, of course, was Eunice. And so I read through his little bio, and what I had read is that and I don't think this comes up in the X-Men comics, but if it does, I apologize, is that eventually Beast's Ray kind of, he doesn't get shot again, but there's like a residual occurrence from that blast, and Eunice's powers uh, slowly become out of control, and he starves to death and dies. Oh, that's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Unless I misread that or made it up, but it seems too detailed for me to have made up. Uh, I'm pretty sure I read. That's what I read in in one of those Marvel character bios, and I swear I've read at least forty or fifty of the original X Men's, and I and almost all of the Uncanny X Men's, and I don't recall Eunice ever coming back. But and I was going to ask like, you if you knew anything about Eunice, and and you do. <laughs> there you go. That's my Eunice wow. fact. He starts to death. <laughs> that's sad. So you can tell he's a hungry dude. <laughs> Anyways, that's. Uh, Another amazing issue of the un, uh, not quite yet the uncanny X Men of just the X Men of just the X Men. I would say that uh, we could chalk this up. We should really be, we should have a scoreboard as to like um, victories that the X Men have been granted <laughs> because of luck and actual victories that they have earned. This is a victory they actually earned. Uh, yes, I'm saying chalk one up for uh, a victory for the X Men. You know they. Weren't, this might be the only one. <laughs> I. 
that's what I'm, what I'm saying. And it was actually not due to Scott or Cyclops, or I mean Cyclops's or Professor X's good leadership. It had everything to do with Beast. Taking it out on his own. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we don't need an X-Men. Maybe we just need a Beast. We know, we know that Beast can't be the leader, though, because he flies off at the you know, drop of a hat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good foresight exercise by the professor there, not to, not to put Beast in charge. Too short of well, fuse. I, I think the professor realized that Scott is the weakest and therefore the easiest. <laughs> the most manipulate. malleable. So to, an- so to answer your other question you asked about Beast uh, leaving the X-Men, um, this is something that when we get to uh, those, those middle issues, mm-hmm. um, the issues, the reprint issues, Mm-hmm. We need to do some research. This is another chalk this up on the to-do list, another to-do list. Uh, so the X-Men ends at like, I don't know, issue 67 or something like that. And it goes into reprints until issue 94. And Beast is a, a, a member in good standing from issue 1 to issue 67 or whatever that issue is. And then you go into reprints. But somewhere in the reprints, he became an Avenger and a right. Defender. And I think that's it. He was in those two teams. Uh, and then for a plot device to bring all the X-Men back, he was reintroduced for the whole Krakoa, Krakoa Island thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't think the Beast, I don't, that's the research we need to do is to figure out in Marvel chronology or Marvel lore what it was that the Beast did to leave the X-Men and go to the Avengers and the Defenders. Because I don't know that that's actually documented in these pages that we will be reading. Probably not, yeah. So look forward to that, folks. You only have to wait about a year for us to get to that issue. (laughs) (laughs) Shop for us on iTunes. We're free. Leave us comments. Mm -hmm. We need them so that people can find the show. Mm -hmm. Uh, And visit us at www.redcatproductions forward slash danger room. And you can email us at dangerroom at redcatproductions.com. All of those culminate into a place that you can leave a comment or some feedback or ask a question that will be either placed on the webpage, left on the iTunes page, or even perhaps aired on the podcast. Well, at this point, we haven't gotten any, so I think the first one we get will definitely be read on the, the, uh, the podcast. All right. Well, then, until next time, folks, this is Jeremy and Adam saying that the danger room is closed. Closed.